welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Monday, April the 6th, 2022, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are delighted to have two very familiar people to the Defender Podcast, uh, dear ladies who serve this ministry in such fantastic ways. We are joined by Jana Lombardo, who is our Senior Program Manager and Director for our International Adoption Programs, and Jana has really carried every position at Lifeline that we have. Uh, from birth mother counselor to social worker. She has led our Eastern European and Eurasian programs for so many years, and she is just a treasure trove of information. And then we are also joined by the uh, new grandmother, uh, Carla Rusen Thrasher. And so uh, we, you know, affectionately call her Granny Ruse around here, and she's just had a new baby granddaughter. And Carla helps direct our international programs. And uh, we're just so delighted to have both of these ladies on so that we can talk a little bit more about the state of international adoption. And of course, I know everyone is waiting with bated breath to know, will Dr. Rick be on this podcast? And yes, Dr. Rick will be on the podcast. Before we bring on these lovely guests, I want to remind you about Lifeline's Ukraine response. As many of you know, on February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. And certainly we've seen the political fallout of that on our televisions. We've seen the humanitarian fallout for that. Maybe many of us have even tried to seek to understand even the geopolitical concerns about Russia attacking Ukraine. But one thing we do know is that many people have been displaced and certainly many children and many vulnerable children, many orphans have been displaced or have had a hard time during this time. So Lifeline is assisting our partners in Ukraine as well as our partners in Poland and Romania who have been displaced or who are providing support for those who are. We're working with these partners to provide food, housing, fuel, utilities, and more as displaced families seek refuge for more. See our show notes for more details or visit lifelinechild.org or you can always uh, look at the scrolling feature on our website as it will point you or look for Lifeline on social media at Lifeline Child. Again, all social media sites at Lifeline Child to support the families, and most importantly, the children of Ukraine. Well, it is that time of the podcast that everyone looks forward to. And that's when we get to re- bring on the venerable Dr. Rick. And Dr. Rick, I know that as we even talk about the state of international adoption, that is a topic that is near and dear to your heart as well. Uh, obviously, your three children came into your home uh, via international adoption methods. And I know there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of questions. We've gone through two years of COVID. Uh, we've had wars and rumors of wars. You know. Checking our eschatology, it even looks like, you know, could could the end be coming? But we see all these things happening, but yet there's still so much room for Christians to get involved, and there's still so much room for Christians to get involved in international adoption. Well, you know, Herbie, as, even as we're sitting down today to record this podcast, I, I've said this before, and, uh, and I certainly want to reemphasize it today, that um, Carl and Jana are both um, among my favorite people. Uh, but uh, my family would not be who we are today without um, 
people like them and uh, and and people that are a part of their team who are serving in order to help families to um, to bring children home through international adoption to support those families to um, provide resources for families and I think one of the things that I love so much about Lifeline and about who we are is that we really do make a family commitment to our families. And so it's, it's been such an amazing thing to watch these ladies and, and so many others that they lead um, to come alongside families and to pour into them and to continue to journey with them through um, the twists and turns of life and, and through what's not always, um, you know, an easy journey. I think today, uh, more than ever, international adoption is uh, certainly different, and that probably has to do with the pandemic and a lot of other things. And And so we just kind of want to dig in there maybe to start. And so, Carl, I'll point this question at you first, but but would really love for both of you to, to kind of interact and, and talk about this. But how does international adoption look different? today in 2022 than it has in in years past because we talk about all the time internally around here that's a that's a part of our dialogue all the time but for the folks that are listening to the podcast like what's what's new and what's different about where we find ourselves today yeah that's a that's a great question rick um you know lifeline has been doing international adoption for you know, almost 22 years, and over that, over over those years, we've seen a lot of changes to the to the international programs. But specifically, probably in the past six to eight years, have seen things become dramatically different um, as far as children eligible for adoption. Um, we've seen children coming home at an older age be, becoming more typical. We've seen sibling groups becoming more typical. We've seen the medical or, or just special needs in general becoming more moderate. Um, and because of the time that children are now spending away from, from families or primary caregivers, we're seeing their histories become more complex, their social histories, which means they're coming home um, presenting with more behaviors that need to be, that need to be dealt with. Um, you know, and one of the questions that we get most often from families is, so why? You know, why does Lifeline stay in this space as things become more challenging? Um, and I've had to answer this question a lot, especially over the last couple of years, and it's one of the easiest answers ever. Um, it, as long as there is a need, Lifeline's vision and our mission is to serve vulnerable children um, and provide them with families. And as long as that need remains, we will be in this space. Um, so that's kind of the answer in a nutshell, just of how we've seen international adoption become more challenging over the last specifically six to eight years, but the need grows every single day for children to be placed in, in families. Yeah, absolutely, Carla. I, I would agree with that. And I would even add to that, you know, I love how you said, as long as there is a need and the value that we place on, on life and how how that's just come to be a little bit more of a forefront of everything of what, what we do every day, um, that, that the children that we work with and the spaces that we work are, are valuable regardless of their needs and regardless of their behaviors and being able to step in and walk alongside that family um, in that challenge and in that hard. Um, and it's really challenged us to make sure that we're helping support and meet needs where we can so those things have seen, we've seen significant changes in those in those areas as well, you know, over the last you know twenty two years. So Jana, maybe um, 
talk a little bit about specific challenges that we're seeing in in certain countries. I think we you know we've kind of talked in general about programs as a whole, but there are obviously within specific regions and specific countries we're seeing some um, you know some things that are that are directly affecting certain programs. And so maybe if we could kind of run down and talk about some of those places that are uh, experiencing challenges right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, with COVID, um, Carla often says that we saw international adoption shut down as a whole for a period of several months. And that was unprecedented for Lifeline Children's Services. And we saw we saw the country shut down not know what to do, how to handle the pandemic. This, the, the children were there, children who had been matched, children who were still in need of forever families. And, and slowly through um, some of those things, we, we saw countries begin to open up and begin to navigate what it was like to work through, work through the pandemic, uh, passing new laws and new regulations on how families were to come in and complete an adoption process. Um, I think the challenges within just this last month have been, you know, the challenges within Ukraine uh, as a result of of the war and just that sudden just stop of international adoption. Ukraine has had a long history of adoptions to the United States. Um, One of our programs that I would say has been the most consistent after these, you know, 20, 22 years being at international adoption uh, we've seen children routinely and regularly come home, and that relationship between the U.S. and Ukraine has has been solid as far as international adoption. But to see that all of a sudden stop, families in mid process, families about to take that next step forward, and within hours can't go forward to uh, finalize their adoption and bring their child home, and so navigating those challenges with families and supporting them and, and trying to learn as much information as we can from the various uh, central authorities of adoption in all of the countries that we're working with. Um, it is something that that's a work in progress day after day, trying to find out information and, and gain news. Um, and I know, you know, with, with some of our other countries as well, um, with China still not opening up to international adoption yet, um, and even challenges in Haiti with some of the violence and uh, aggression and things happening just within their own their own countries as well. Um, but adoption is still is still happening, and we're we're figuring out ways possibly for an escort situation, which is not ideal, but something that we're working with our U.S. government on and the embassies in the countries to be able to make that happen specifically for Haiti um, over the last you know several months. So there are just different things that we're we're learning, we're working through day to day. Um, pushing these paths forward as best we can under the rules and regulations that are that are set before us. I think too, Rick, it was neat to watch our team have to pivot during these past couple of years when everything we knew about international adoption changed process-wise. You know, where our day-to-day, um, I've always been really proud that we do put the Lord first and, and one of our, you know, our, our focus is discipling and shepherding families. But when the process changed dramatically and there was no paperwork to do, it was really neat to see our team really dig in and believe all of the things we say to families every day. 
you know, that you have to trust. It's a leap of faith. You know, all those things that roll so easily off our lips, we were having to actually walk out in front of families and model that for them. Um, and it really, it was a neat time, I think, for Jana and I to lead kind of a, a renewed fight for these little lives. You know, it wasn't just happening easily and it wasn't just rote anymore. We were having to step outside of the box and be creative and, you know, push for things and advocate for things. And that's been neat to watch our team do, you know, over the past couple of years too. And Carla, I know specifically we're looking at the the China situation and there's so much we, we really don't know what we do know is that there are about 400 kids that are waiting right now for their families, kids that have been matched, many kids who've made it through the process. Uh, can you just speak to the current situation in China? Obviously, it's been one of the largest sending countries. It's been one of the larger participants in intercountry adoption. One, just what's an update on China, but how is it impacting the larger international adoption ministry and, and international adoption as a whole? You know, I wish I had better news to share about, you know, just a general update. Um, but but that but honestly, we are still waiting. Those 400 families that are matched, that know their children, have pictures of their children, love these children and pray for them every single day, they still wait. Um, so late January 2020, um, when China suspended um, adoption processes, we are still basically in that same position. Um, we've actually seen great advocacy on behalf of our own government. Um, I know even, you know, um, Herbie, you, every chance you get, speak to people about advocating for these families, and I do the same, um, but basically we're still waiting. Our message to our government, the, the Chinese government, you know, who, wherever we can get an ear, is how important and how critical these two years have been in the lives of these little children. Um, and it's not only about families waiting and families wanting their children to be with them, but it's about these children spending even one extra day in an orphanage, you know, albeit two years now. Um, so definitely, you know, if, if, if you are, um, if you are wanting to definitely pray for these families and for these waiting children. But, you know, the second part of your question is what happens when your largest program for forever, you know, for, for the history of international adoption, you know, kind of, kind of goes down. Um, and it's been interesting to see other programs um, have that opportunity um, to, to, to take a step forward. And we've seen that Asian-wise with our Taiwan program especially. Um, we've seen it with some of our Eurasian countries. We've seen Colombia and India um, have opportunities um, to step into into that light. So that's been that's been interesting to watch um, some of the other countries um, come into that, and those children um, have a chance to be advocated for and placed into families. Um, but our hope is that um, the United States and Chinese governments are able to have conversations and be solution minded about how we can um, create a clear path for families to get to China and finalize these adoptions. So obviously we know as we look at the situation in China and, and really around the world and some of the things that, that you, Jana, talked about and, and obviously uh, what, what we're talking about in China, you know, the impact ultimately and the impact we pray for is on these kids, these kids who 
are either trapped in an orphanage or, or like we said, are waiting an inordinate amount of time for their family to come. Obviously, we see the situation in Ukraine where literally kids are in harm's way. But how have Lifeline International families reacted to these challenges that are impacting international adoption? Uh, I'd love to hear from both of you of just how you've seen families handle the extra hurdles and the extra hardship. I um, I could probably talk about this for a really long time because I'm just so thankful for the families and um, their their attitudes of grace and kindness and understanding. And I know that that's not always the case, but trusting in um, the sovereignty of God and being able to speak into that and then being able to verbalize that back to us uh, is really such an encouraging piece of this hard time um, through COVID and, and, and with, with, what China, with what China has gone through and now with what Ukraine is going through. Just, you know, watching our family step up and pray for one another, um, it's been a huge, a huge blessing. And I think, you know, I, the family's reactions are, you know, just like any of us would, they're frustrated. They want to see their children come home. They want to have their kids in their home and in their family. And, um, but they know that, that the, the bigger picture is we, we can't do that right now, but, but God knows. And I think Carla said it right. You know, we're having to kind of step up with what we've always told our families and what we say we believe and, and really standing firm on that um, and allowing our families even to be an encouragement to us. I know they have been to me in the way that they have just taken taken all of this on as far as the waiting and just the, the not understanding. And, and I think that just speaks to our teammates and, and our teammates that we work with and how they view this and how we work together as one body, you know, in, in Christ, being able to speak into our families and them speaking that into their families and encouraging their families in that way. Um, it is it is a blessing and, and a source of encouragement to me to be able to, to see that and, and walk alongside that. I've been so proud of Lifeline families. Um, you know, they really stepped into a space in the adoption community that was that was really struggling. Just all of the challenges at one time, you know, starting with COVID and now, you know, walking into um, war and crime and violence in certain in certain countries. Um, just the economy and and financial stresses, all those things. But hearing Lifeline families out in the adoption community shepherding and discipling other families. To me, it was um, it was so encouraging that they're hearing what we want them to get about this process. That yes, they are bringing home a child, and that's going to be a huge blessing. But the bigger portion of what we do every day is spreading the gospel, and they've been able to go into the adoption community. I mean, I hear kind of the um, you know the backstories of of the lifeline mamas and the lifeline dads offering to pray with families or offering you know, scripture um, on on social media, you know, when when times are tough. And that's just been so encouraging to know that um, we are doing what our mission and our vision truly is. Um, so that's been encouraging. They also, Lifeline Families amazingly stepped into providing resources, um, specifically in China when, 
you know, COVID was brand new. I can't, I can't remember the number. I'll, I'll probably get it wrong, but I believe we sent like 30,000 masks to orphanages and formula um, for children that um, were critically ill. We sent air purifiers. Um, so, and those were our families saying, okay, what can we do to help, you know, in these situations? And that's just a great feeling when those are the people you're partnering with every single day. So, Janet, you, um, Carla was talking about some of the things that um, that have happened around the adoption community around China, um, a place that's near and dear to your heart and my heart and really the heart of everybody on this on this uh, podcast today, but is Ukraine. And obviously we're seeing a lot um, every day on the news and, and kind of filling our, our news feeds about the things that are going on in the war. Um, what like what what can you tell us about how the adoption community is responding to the war like what in that in that larger kind of context of of ukraine families and 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 people that are you know that are concerned with ukraine um like what are you seeing in here so i that's i love it i love this question because i think i have just been just overwhelmed and just overjoyed with what what we are seeing and so and what i mean by that is you know we have families in the space of adoption that definitely want to bring their children home but they're they're wanting to you know what can we do so we've seen families you know give to um as herbie mentioned at the beginning our our one cause page and and being able to provide funds that are going towards meals and medical supplies and housing and those types of things for uh, the refugees of Ukraine, not necessarily just the orphan children. Um, and I think, you know, seeing families just step up wanting to do something. We have families that have said, I'm interested in adoption. I want to adopt. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that are not uh, able to move forward at this moment with, with adoption from Ukraine. But I think, the, I think that God is just using this to open the eyes to the need for adoption and the need for families to pursue children who are older and who might be in a sibling group. And so we have families that are that are interested in adoption now, you know, more than ever. And I think the thing that, um, one of the things that's really blessed my heart and really just spoken volumes to me is the way that uh, Lifeline Partners in Romania and Lifeline Partners in Poland have stepped up uh, to help in the refugee crisis. And, and we've been able, as Lifeline U.S., being able to, you know, support them in that way and sending funds and, and being able to distribute that in a very wise and a good stewardship type of way uh, to our partners on the ground in Romania and in Poland who are in turn helping uh, refugees and who are helping uh, children and uh, being able to be that connector. I've, I have found myself being a great connector over the last several weeks uh, to, to folks on the ground in, in all of these countries. and. I think my favorite story um, at the moment is being able to have been part of um, one of our dads who adopted from Ukraine about 10, 11 years ago, adopted a sibling group of girls and found out about a brother who was there when they were adopted and two years later went back to get the brother. He was 11 uh, when he came home and now he's 19. But dad and son are on the border of Ukraine and Poland helping refugees um come across and being able just to meet really physical needs uh with juice boxes and people are coming across the border with uh their arms full of their belongings without any place to put them and getting them suitcases and being able to just be the hands and feet 
of, of Jesus and being able to um, do that. And I, and I see this son who's now 19 being able to give back to where he's from, feeling part of his being of his from his home country, being connected and what that's doing for him in, in that, you know, trauma background that he has and that healing of that, that trauma background that he has. And so uh, I just could speak volumes of that and being able to minister to those those people that we love so dearly from this country who've had to flee and even go to our partners' homes in Romania. Um, I think that's one of the things that I, I just can't even talk about without just being very emotional, just knowing how the body of Christ supporting one another and not even knowing one another, not even speaking the same language, but because we are all connected. Um, it's just been pretty amazing to see that. Well, Jana, you know, I, I've been so encouraged to see what the Hewitt family has done at the border of Poland. And one of the things that is so encouraging is you see this family that adopted not only to add to their family or because they had capacity, but earnestly because they loved the country of Ukraine. And and we certainly know uh, that, that Dr. Rick and his family love Ukraine. That That is probably one of the most encouraging things is when families adopt the country where their children are coming from as well. And so I know one of the advices we give to families that are thinking through international adoption is to remind them they're not just bringing a child in their home. They really are bringing a part of a culture and a country and a nation into their home that that Lord willing, they'll have a, a huge part of in the future. What are so, what's some other advice that we give families that are considering international adoption today? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really big part of the the culture piece. And, and one of the things that we're working hard to be better at, you know, sharing the culture and being able to explain the culture and knowing um, that this is part of their child's identity and their and, and who their child is and, and where they're from and part of their their self, their self-worth. And so we want families to dig in and learn as much as they can about their child's history, their child's culture, where they're from, celebrate those those special holidays that that country would have, cook those, cook the foods and, and give back when they can, you know, take a heritage trip. Carla has done many of those and walked families through that many a times, but, but being able to, to do that and embracing that for their child, because that is part of who they are and, and really getting families to see that that is such an important piece. It's not just, okay, they're coming to America and all is good but they're leaving behind their identity at times and what they know and being able just to know, have that family just recognize the importance of that and being able to constantly speak into that and, and make their child feel, we still value this part of the world and where you're from. And I uh, had a family that had been planning a um, heritage trip actually back to Ukraine for June of this year. And Unfortunately, that's not going to happen, but seeing the value of that uh, for for their their son specifically, uh, I think it's just really important. And so just keeping that alive and that knowledge about where they're from and and embracing that as a family uh, in a way, in a in a ministry type way. I think one of the the things I would want families to know that are interested in pursuing international adoption is, We've seen over and over and over throughout all the years that we have, um, that we've served families that the Lord is going to provide. Um, if he is calling you to this, he is going to be your provision, um, whether it be financially, whether it be 
all of the other ways um, that he's preparing your marriage, your, your, the children already in your home, preparing you for the challenges that we know are coming post-adoption, that he is going to be your constant. Um, and then on the practical side, I think I would prepare them that there are going to be challenges. We know that this is an emotional, tedious process with, you know, one in which we have very little control. We're working with other governments. We're working with, you know, um, overseas governments, um, lots of other entities that have, you know, to approve paperwork and, and deadlines and all of those things. Um, but that Lifeline is going to partner with you in all of those seasons. Um, we're going to be there to celebrate with you um, when there are things to celebrate, but we're also going to be with you in the hard. Um, we're going to be your advocate. We are going to be your information finder um, on the post-adoption side. We are going to partner with you in caring for that child once they're in your home. And um, I think I'd also want families to know just post-adoption wise has really turned out to be something that Lifeline has really turned our focus to, um, especially over the past five or six years. And knowing that that's truly when the real journey starts, we have really put some things in place um, to walk alongside families and to equip and prepare them for the challenges that we know are coming. Um, and I would just want families to know we are going to be there with you. Um, there's not a season that we're going to hand you paperwork and walk away or a season where we're not going to be, you know, just an email, a phone call, you know, a face-to-face -face visit away. I think that's really important. We're going to be praying for your family. We're going to be discipling your family. Um, we're going to equip you to disciple the child that you're bringing into your home. And all these things we truly enjoy being a part of. And we truly enjoy being a part of your journey. Carla, Jana, we've, you know, we've talked and we've talked in the past, even on the podcast about the, as we've talked about the changing landscape of international adoption, that there, there's a reality that there are, there are fewer kids that are coming home through international adoption. But part of the reason we stay engaged in this is because international adoption is the right solution for some children. And, and it's, and, you know, hopefully we've kind of quelled some of the rhetoric in the church thinking that adoption is the answer for every vulnerable child. But um, but we know that there are kids out there that are in need of permanency. They're in need of the love of a family. And and they're, they're not going to find that in their home nation. And so international adoption is the is the best best pathway for them. Um, maybe as we as we kind of close out today, talk a little bit about how Lifeline is advocating for those children for whom adoption is the best answer and and like what ways can even can people that are listening to us um, pray for and advocate and, and and be part of that solution as well yeah absolutely um, I I think one of the words that you just said is is important and we use it a lot um, is advocacy and I and I think just to talk a little bit about what that looks like, you know, advocating for for children who need moms and dads and children that you might see on a waiting child list or on a, on a website. Um, but in that in that space is where, you know, not everyone may be called to do an international adoption. But this is one way that you can help, you know, getting this in front of your church family, your small group, your um, you know, your community. And, and you know, if you if you know of a family who can 
you know, have the capacity maybe to meet this need, really helping us and partnering with us within that, you know, in that advocacy space, I think is, is, is important. And I think what we need, what we see um, is not every child that, that comes home is that younger child that has more of the minor needs and, and that was kind of used to, and, and that's what we see differently now. Um, but my heart is even more challenged and more encouraged to continue to have those, that, that advocacy in mind for those children who are older, sibling groups, uh, teenagers who, who need the love of a family. And that's not all, the love is just not always gonna be the answer as far as like fixing everything because it's definitely not. But being able to, to provide some of that advocacy and, and partnering together with us uh, for children who need who need that, and I think that that's a that's a space that we all can step into, that we can all help with, um, in regards to the the current state, you know, of, of international adoption. I um I got to have a great reminder um over the weekend. I had breakfast with four little girls from China and their moms, and um. You know, as I sat there and just kind of took it all in, you know, that these are four little girls that not too, too long ago were in an orphanage and didn't know what it was like to have a mama, you know, that was putting bows in their hair and making sure they were drinking their orange juice and just, you know, crawling up into their laps. And, you know, I just got teary just sitting there just thinking how grateful I was just for the gift of adoption, you know, and that the Lord not only provides for our adoption, but just secondarily for these children to join families. And one of the things that these mamas all talked about was support. Um, and just, you know, how much they appreciated the support of Lifeline's ministry to them, how much they appreciated the support of other families, other post-adoption families, post-adoption resources. Um, so I think that's another thing that sometimes we think the hard part is the, is the paperwork and the waiting. But just remembering that once these children are in homes, there are so many things that we can do to support these very brave families that have stepped out um, and opened their hearts and homes to, to these children. And I was really reminded of that over the weekend and just really kind of energized um, to again, just to do all we can, you know, to support families um, that are stepping into this place. And I, and I think as you say that, Carla, it, it's been a great reminder to me, you know, we're, we're at a place where children that were adopted from Ukraine, you know, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, are in places where they're in college and have do, doing internships here at Lifeline, wanting to be a social worker, wanting to be a caseworker, wanting to to give back in that way. And uh, recently just getting a, a, a quick text from uh, a young lady who is a uh, sophomore in college right now, uh, I think almost a junior, wanting to do her internship here next summer uh, at Lifeline next spring. And um, just for these these young ladies to be able to to see, you know, they do want to work in this space as well. You know, they, they're from from a, a, an adoption situation in another country, but they want to help in that way too. So I think that just speaks volumes to our families and just advocacy that that we are seeing, you know, for, for our sweet kiddos. Yeah, and so really in closing, friends, I know for folks that are listening to this and they say, okay, what's that next step then for me? I know we've got an app push that's upcoming as well as some webinars. Could you tell us just a little bit more information about that app push and that, those webinars before we close? Yeah, we're really excited about um, an upcoming app push that's going to happen 
later this spring. And, you know, because of some very generous donors, Lifeline is able to, to pass on um, grants to families that are pursuing um, international adoptions through our programs. So you'll see information coming out um, about that on our social media. Um, but that would be, you know, a next step would be going to our website, looking at the information that's provided there about international adoption. One thing we did over the past year that has also been really helpful to families is we've hired an inquiry specialist. Um, and Heather Jackson, what she spends her days doing is taking calls from families or answering emails from families and helping them kind of walk through that decision-making process. Which country is gonna be the best fit for their family? Which child is best going to fit into what they feel their capacity is? Um, we have webinars on Thursdays where we walk families through what an international process um, is like, you know, the, all the different pieces and parts of it. Um, and there's a good question answer time too where they can get some questions answered. Um, so those would be good next steps, Harvey. Just contacting us, let us talk you through where your family is, where a good fit for your family would be in the bigger picture of adoption. Um, it may be that adoption may not be where you're called at this time, but we can walk you through other ways that you can help and support families that are pursuing children. Amen. Well, I know we would love to hear from families and really in the same places that you can help with Ukraine. You can always go to our website. You can search on social media at Lifeline Child, visit lifelinechild.org, or always you can contact our offices. We would love to talk to you over the phone. And we hope that even during these trying times that we're experiencing as a world, that many families would pray and consider international adoption. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. Oh,